Well, good morning and uh, happy Sunday to everyone uh, who's out there. As always, I wish I could be with you in person. I wish we could all be together uh, singing and praying, but it is not to be. Uh, It is more important right now that we all stay separate, that we keep our distance from each other so we don't get anybody sick. Uh, And uh, I know this is a challenge and it wears. Uh, I can tell you all about it wearing. I've got five kids at home. And uh, so I I get a sense of that. But uh, this is Pastor Lars Hammer again coming and uh, coming to you. I feel like a DJ talking into this mic. Uh, But coming to you here from my office, uh, recording this for you. And uh, this is in case you didn't catch my video recorded version. I tried out this morning. But um, so uh, this week. Uh, This is the last Sunday in March here, and I'm continuing to look at the Gospel of John. And in the Gospel of John here, in our lectionary, we normally get these stories. I call them the long, they're they're long stories, and they're specific just to the Gospel of John. And this week's uh, is the story of Lazarus and the resurrection of Lazarus, not to be confused with the rich man and Lazarus, which is a parable in Luke, where a guy named Lazarus is uh, poor and covered in boils, and he lives out on the street, uh, on the ga- outside the gate of the rich man who won't give him any food. This is a different Lazarus. This is the Lazarus who is the brother of Mary and Martha, who live in Bethany, and Mary and Martha are the ones that are famous for the cooking. Uh, One went in and cooked while Jesus was there. The other one stayed out and listened to him. But you do get a sense throughout the Bible that Lazarus and Mary and Martha and Jesus were all fairly close. And those names keep coming back. But you get this story of Lazarus, the resurrection of Lazarus. Now, it's a nice, big, long one. In fact, it's so long today... Last week I read through the whole passage, but I'm going to encourage you on your own to go and read through it yourself. Uh, It'll take a long time to get through. It's 45 verses. And like a lot of these special stories in John, you need to read the whole thing. It isn't like one of those nice little uh, parables like you get in Matthew. You know, the kingdom of God is like a pearl that's so valuable, he sold everything and bought it. And that's it. These stories go on and on and on. It's a, all the details matter, but it's really long. Anyways, that said, I'm going to jump right in to our sermon, to our message this morning. Uh, from John 11, verses 1 through 45. And uh, so, this story, uh, the story of Lazarus, and I've mentioned this before, it was a super popular story among the first Christians, the very early Christians, the one who met in catacombs and in people's houses. And they painted this story, the resurrection of Lazarus, a lot, and they talked about this story a lot. For people who have had to practice their faith in a cave uh, and in catacombs and feared getting killed for it, I guess it made sense that Jesus being able to bring resurrection would be a powerful symbol, maybe something that they'd look forward to. You know, it could be, it would could work as kind of a metaphor, you know. We are now ourselves underground, longing for the day when Jesus will return and bring us out of our uh, literal caves, out of our proverbial caves. Uh, and of course, it's it's another miracle story. 
and it's another one of those miracle stories. Drives the skeptics nuts. Uh, I don't worry about that. Uh, Literal or not, I like to look at what's happening in a Bible text, what people are doing, what it says about Jesus, and living our lives of faith. I like to look at what the meanings are. And uh, so I'll say that if you go back to the beginning of this passage, the very beginning of the story, as much as it is fun to focus on the happy ending where Lazarus is raised, the beginning, honestly, is a struggle for me. And I kept going over and over, and it was still a struggle for me. Because Jesus doesn't come across looking very good. Not to me, not in the beginning. Uh, and nor does he look very good to most of the people he runs into in the story, which makes me think there's probably some real truth behind it. And that's because if you want, if you want to make up a lie to make your hero look good, you would only put that person in the best possible light. You wouldn't make them flawed. You, you wouldn't make the person contradictory. Uh, you wouldn't have a person who flip-flops. And you definitely wouldn't have what you have here in this story where you have Jesus appearing kind of flippant and cavalier about a person, a friend, who's sick and dying. But that's kind of what Jesus does in the beginning. So let's walk through this a little bit. In the first part, the first paragraph, the first five verses, we get the scene set up. You have Mary and Martha, again, this wealthy couple of women. They live with their younger brother, Lazarus. Uh, we never get the full backstory. We don't find out how they make their money or where the husbands are, any of that. Uh, all we know is that the two women and Lazarus, they're good friends of Jesus, and they send people to Jesus to tell Jesus that Lazarus is ill. So Mary and Martha, Lazarus, they live in this town called Bethany that's about five miles from Jerusalem. Jesus is somewhere else, and so they send messengers to tell him that Lazarus is ill. And when the messenger comes, there there isn't an ask for a miracle. Uh, In fact, they don't actually ask for anything, although I I guess I'd assume they wanted Jesus to stop by. Instead, they just say, your friend Lazarus is ill. And Jesus' answer to them is, he just kind of blows them off and says, the illness doesn't lead to death. It's to show God's glory. And I kind of go, huh? Huh? Show God's glory? Then... After Jesus says that, he stays two more days, wherever he is, away from Lazarus. Then we get to the next paragraph. If you start at verse 7, and Jesus says he's going to go back to Judea, which is the southern part of Israel, where Bethany is. So this is where Martha and Mary and Lazarus are. And he's going to go back into that province. And the disciples are flabbergasted that he wants to do that. And they remind him that the last time he went to Judea, they tried to stone him. And Jesus isn't bothered. So he's kind of flippant about Lazarus's illness. And then, his, and then he's flippant about his disciples' concern about being stoned. Then he goes on again about Lazarus and says, 
Lazarus is asleep, and I'm going to wake him up. Okay, the disciples then can't figure out why they're risking getting stoned if Lazarus is just going to sleep it off. But Jesus changes his tune and says, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. And you go, what? That was my reaction, what? First, we're told Lazarus isn't fatally ill. Then, that he's sleeping. Then, that he's dead. But it's also that the disciples can see and believe. Jesus' behavior is so odd here. It looks to an outside observer that Jesus misjudged how bad Lazarus's condition was. And as people pressed him on it, he gave in and said, Well, yeah, it is going to kill him, but it's for a good purpose. It's to show you guys so that you'll believe and give God glory. I'm like, dude, these were the disciples. They already believed. They gave up everything for you, Jesus. I think they're solid. And Martha and Mary, they're huge fans. They're total believers. You know, this isn't, this isn't a crowd of atheists at a Sam Harris seminar. These are all big supporters. You don't need to do anything to prove anything to them. And I suppose someone might say, well, what about everybody else who would hear about the story? Okay, I'll give you that. The story did inspire a lot of people to faith. But didn't you just tell me, I'd hear someone saying, the early church really loved the Lazarus story? Didn't it inspire them in the midst of persecution? Yes. Uh, but it would have had the same effect if Jesus had raised someone else he couldn't get to. I, I'm sure there was some sick person in whatever town he was in who just died could have used a resurrection. You didn't have to let your friend die to prove your point. At least that's what it looks like. Jesus blew off the seriousness of it. And then when it turned out deadly, he admitted it reluctantly, then finally came around and did the resurrection thing to fix the problem. Not the best view of Jesus, I would think which is why I don't think this story is just made up. Jesus is too contradictory, too aloof. He seems pretty unconcerned about loyal friends. And it looks like he's letting his friend die to prove a point. On the other hand, it does show that Jesus was human and that he, like everyone else in our world, lives with choices to make that are not always win-win. And he has lots of people wanting lots of things from him, and he has limited time. And he has lots of places to be, and things to see, and souls to save, and he can't always just put his friends first. On the other hand, if I knew I could raise people from the dead, it might make me a bad ER doctor. I mean, why run for the, to make that code blue if you can just finish your latte and then get around to it when you do and bring him back, you know, within four days. Four days, heck, you could just check out on a Friday afternoon and head up to Roosevelt Lake and come back and pull him out of the morgue and, you know, zap him and he's walking again, right? I mean, it would suck to be that guy to have to go through the heart attack uh, and then die and then go through death, but... You know, you would be he would be alive at the end, right? 
I try to give Jesus the benefit of the doubt, but in this place it's a struggle for me. Lazarus's resurrection feels like a last-minute save, not a well-thought-out plan. On the other hand, Jesus did risk stoning to go back there to him, and he did come eventually. There's a scene when he finally makes it back to Martha and Mary and Lazarus' house. And says Mary stays home, so she's in the house with grief. And Martha goes running out to meet Jesus. And she lets him have it. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You let him go. I know you can heal. And why didn't she heal him? And Martha's conflicted because as soon as she reams out Jesus, then she walks it back and says, But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Sort of like you let him have it, and then, you know, you're like, God, but I still like you. You screwed up. And now my brother's dead, but God will give you whatever you want, I'm sure. Hint, hint, screw up, fix this, hint, hint. And Jesus does, and Lazarus is brought back to life. But I get stuck on that line. If you would have been here, my brother would not have died. One of the ways you know you feel safe with someone is when you feel comfortable letting them know what you really feel. If you think they're going to walk out on you and you're afraid of that happening, usually watch your tongue a little more carefully you got to be a little cautious so you don't upset them, so you don't offend them. But Martha here has no fear. She has love for Jesus, and she's got grief. And with Jesus, she feels she can speak it, even if she tries to calm it over with a little bit of, I know you can make this right. If you would have been here. Ever heard that line? It's what you get when you're a nurse or a doctor, I'm sure, and the ER is full and you have more patience than time. And you make judgment calls every minute and someone dies because you put them at a lower priority. And then you have to walk back into that room and watch the family standing there and telling you that their loved one died because you weren't there. This is what's already happening in Italy and Spain and Iran People are dying because there just plain isn't enough space and supplies and doctors and nurses for all the people coming in. So they triage and they prioritize and some live and some die. And it's what they have to do because it's all they can do. I have to imagine that having the ability to heal or cure is a bigger burden than being powerless. Because if you have the ability, then people need you. And, but unless you're the Flash and you can run around the world with sort of Santa Claus speed, you're not going to be able to get to everyone. So some will die because you didn't get there. And they will blame you. And you will carry on, on you, this responsibility and this guilt for your decisions. If you're powerless, you can hold someone's hand and pray with them, and be with them in their pain, but you don't have the responsibility of trying to fix it. If you can fix it, they'll want one. 
But honestly, for most of us, the second category is where we're in. We're powerless. But if you can fix it, when you don't and you're gone, people get angry. That's how it goes for all of us humans. You know, our lives have limited amounts of time and limited amounts of money and power and energy and knowledge. We live our lives with more needs around us than we can get to. You know, there are more people in poverty or some sort of need in Tucson. Uh, we're one of the highest poverty cities in the Southwest uh, as a percentage of our population. But there's more need than any of us has time to address. There are more shelters, more food banks, more programs that need our help than we could, than we could ever possibly volunteer for. And at some time, we will have to go on vacations and take time for ourselves, and there will be consequences. On the flip side, you could just give up and become apathetic and forget about healing or being with anyone and just avoid everyone so you're not in a situation where they need you then you won't let them down. Keep to yourself, and they won't know what you didn't do. And I worry that there's too much of the second in our country and not enough of the first. There's, there's too much staying away and not enough getting involved. There's less and less knowing your neighbor, less volunteering, less giving, less commitment to organizations. There's more playing games online with strangers who will never get mad at you for not being there for them when their brother dies. I do find sometimes that we avoid the close relationships and deep commitments to protect ourselves from any potential backlash for failing to honor them the right way. You know, I can't be yelled at for not doing what I didn't promise in the first place. We're in a time now when there is a growing illness in our country, and it's going to require a weird combination of doing more and doing less. There are a lot of places that need your help more now than ever. Food banks, for example, are getting depleted faster than the toilet paper aisle at Costco. I just heard the Marana Food Bank up the road here is down to just government commodities because the private donations are getting sucked up faster than they can stock them. So you can share some of that hoard of supplies with the food bank or the rescue mission or your neighbor. At the same time, we need to stay away from each other. Today it would be more like Lazarus was visited repeatedly in contradiction to the warnings and died, and Martha sent out a text message saying, if only you would have not been here, my brother would be alive. So we need each other more, while we need to stay distant more. And in all this, uh, in all this, I will not end the sermon with a simple platitude that says that we have nothing to worry about because Jesus will raise us all from the dead one day. Even though, yes, I believe that, that one day that will happen, that there will be a resurrection. Uh, but the physical Jesus is not standing here, and I'm not going to go out and do stupid stuff just to test him. I'm going to try to be there for my friends and fellow church members, online or over the phone, and stay by myself in person, as much as you can do with five kids, 
So while we can look at this story and celebrate Lazarus's miracle, which is good, we can also take some solace in knowing that we're not alone in our struggle with faith and presence and understanding why God seems so present in one place and not the next and why God seems to heal one person and the another dies and why God seems so close one moment but so far away the next. We all wrestle with this. But in the end we proclaim not that I will get a new resurrection in life, but that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And that's what he says. I am the resurrection and the life. And the point today is to know Jesus and find ourselves in him rather than waiting another day. So be safe and be smart. God loves you all. Take care. And let's stay in touch. God bless. Amen.